0: Welcome back to Epilogues, an unpacking of the weekly Haftorah. You are listening to Rabbi Yaakov Trump. This week we're going to be looking at the haftarah of Parshas Vaera. The Haftorah is drawn from Yecheskel, Perik Chaf Pasuk Chaf to Perik Choftes, Tes, Pasuk Chaf Aleph. This is, it comes from a very unusual area in Tanakh. This is where Yecheskel turns to the to the lands, to the nations around Israel. And gives prophecies about each of those nations. There's a whole section in Yechezkel which is dedicated to this. Let's do a little bit of contextualization. Yechezkel is a prophet who's living at the time of the destruction of the first base of He's actually living in Babylon so he sees everything that's going on. He sees the different stages of exile from without. At this point as he turns to each of these nations there is something which relates to the punishment of each of these nations because some had good relationships and some had more difficult relationships with the nation of Israel during this very unstable time in the Middle East and now after all the predictions and all the punishment and all the reprimanding that Israel deserves the nations around Israel also deserve their their um, ultimate deserts, and that is what we're hearing about we hear now about this particular section, which is dedicated to Egypt. Let's start off. The first few psukim, really are from the end of Perak Chavches, and the, these psukim are real more about consolation, where Hashem says that I'm going to bring in Israel. I'm going to bring out Israel from all the nations. And they will be sanctified in the eyes of the nation. When is this supposed to happen? The Mal- says is that this is going to be a time when the nations, uh, the, the nation of Israel scattered around the earth and you will see that happening. It's a pure pure promise, as the Bible says, about the future r- r- kibbutz, goliath which we're dialing for every single day. And when that happens, there will be a Kiddush Hashem, not just because we see that God's promises in the Hebrew Bible, in the Torah, are being fulfilled about Israel coming back, but also there's an element, says the Chama the Chida, that The the sparks of the divine holiness that are implanted in all the complex and difficult shadow areas in the world are going to be brought through because the Jews were there. That's what the Haftarah starts with. So it's a grand prophecy of redemption, something which we all dream for and which we're beginning to witness ourselves now. Then we move to Perkov Test. Now we start talking about Egypt and more particularly about Pharaoh. You can understand why this is chosen as the Haftarah this week because it is a, focusing on the Egypt of ancient. When we pull this prophecy there's prophecy about, about Egypt, which is going to be a millennia later. We can understand that there are parallels between the way that Egypt acted in the times of Yechezkel and the way that Egypt acted in the times of the Israelites, the Hebrews, when they were slaves there. So let's start at the beginning. We we're told this is in the tenth year of the prophecy that Yeheskel receives, and he, is, he receives a prophecy which says as follows. He is addressed as Ben Adam, the son of man. That's the way that God addresses Yeheskel most of the time during his, the Sefer. He says, Face, turn your, your attention to the king of Egypt and give him a prophecy. What is the prophecy? He says the following, olecho hatanim You're this great um, sea animal which is sitting in, its, uh, in, in the middle of the Nile. Um, I'm going to, uh, to address you. You, I, the river belongs to me and I created it. That's what you claim. Well, you know what, says Hashem, I'm going to take a hook and put it through your through your jaw. And I'm going to drag you and all your fish out of the river and I'm going to take you to the desert. And then all of you, all of your aquatic creatures, everything will be destroyed and you're going to be food for the animals and for the birds. Why? Because, hey, Yosom, you were Mishenes Koneh Leves Israel. You were this, this reed which... Israel relied upon you, this hand which crumbled, a bed which broke when they leaned upon you. A lot is being said over here. So let's say a few things over here. Why is Pharaoh being singled out? Why is Pharaoh a representative of his country? So the point is that if Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt, Pharaoh is essentially a metaphor for all of Egypt, because he worshipped the river, um, and therefore it's a symbol of the nation is Pharaoh who's sort of sitting there, lying there in the river. He's actually likened to be a tanin. What is a tanin? So, Rashe the relaxates like, says it's a type of large fish, perhaps, perhaps a serpent, However, it's actually more likely, as the diatomic Mikra points out, that it's referring to a Nile crocodile. If you look at it, the words used to describe it are rovates. He is crouching. Snakes don't crouch. Rovates means to say something which has legs. And also here by caskasasecha, we hear about these, these scales. So it sounds like some sort of crouching creature which has scales, which makes sense because the Nile River certainly then was populated by crocodiles. He is, he is seen as this, this fierce crocodile sitting in the marsh, in the marshland as well. Um, why is this, what what, what does this really mean? What is is the claim that he's making that that this is the river that I made? What it means to say is that the Egypt's main source of commerce, I mean, even today most of Egypt's Egyptian population is around the Nile River, is that the Nile River was, there, was the epicenter of all agriculture and commerce. And so Pharaoh essentially said, I am the one who's behind the blessing of the river, and therefore I take responsibility for being the source of all of Egypt's commerce. So when he says, I made the river, essentially he's saying in the God system, I am at the apex of the totem pole of power in Egypt because the river depends on me. I crouch in it, the image of, of total control as well. Um, and what does that look like in practical terms? Well, since Egypt does not depend on rain, unlike Israel, Israel which depends on rain and looking up to God, it thinks of itself as independent, therefore not need in need of God in any respect. So Hashem says, well, I'm going to correct that as well. We move a little further, just into the, in this uh, example over here, we, they are called a Mishene Sakane, a staff of reed. What does that mean? A staff is usually something hard, a reed is something very bendable. So Rashi and the Redaki explained that when Sankherev and Nebuchadnezzar, when the Assyrians and later the Babylonians attacked, the center of the Fertile Crescent, which was where Israel was in the state of Judea, then the Israelites turned south and tried to make a military alliance with Egypt, thinking that they will be saved by the Egyptians. Well, it turns out that that staff, that very strong image, was not so strong. It was actually bendable like a reed, and that's what's being said over here. It's actually reprimanding the um, way that Israel acted in relationship to Egypt, more than it was about um, Egypt themselves, and that's why the example of, of this bed that breaks as they lean on it is because they, that Israel really l- depended on Egypt. They paid crippling taxes for military protection as the buffer zone for Egypt, but ultimately Egypt did not come through for them. Egypt was not able to withstand the onslaught of the first the Syrians and the Babylonians. Later on, we go on further in the prophecy, and there's a very poignant prophecy where in the next section in Psukim Ches to Psukim. Beis. we hear about the prophecy of destruction, that Egypt's going to be cut down, that it's going to be completely desolate. Nobody's going to even traverse Egypt anymore. It will not be even settled for 40 years. That's how long it's going to take when this punishment of destruction. What are the 40 years? So the Radak actually says a very fascinating thing. He says, if you go back to the beginning of Parashas Miketz, where Paro, in the time of Yosef, has a dream, he mentions this dream three times over. And in each dream, there's seven leans. Kab- um, and seven lean um, uh, uh, years of wheat. And so if you take that, that's 14 mentioned three times. That's essentially 42 years of famine mentioned. Two of those years actually had expression in the time of Yosef before the famine lifted at the arrival of Yaakov. So there are forty years there are remaining of famine which have yet to be done. So it seems that there was some sort of cataclysmic economic event that occurred to Egypt which was really embedded into the original prophecy um, as well. It could also be, as Admikra points out, it could be a parallel to the forty-year de- sojourn in the desert that the the, the, the Hebrews had escaped Egypt for. Bebirosamay. There seems to be some sort of um, terrible event that's going to affect Egypt as a punishment after which we hear Shana the, 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 the so can say from Pasuk gimel to Pasuk Tezayin there's going to come a time where there's going to be a Kibbutz Goliath for Mitzrayim. they're going to also return to their land but they're going to return and they're going to be a lowly nation they'll never really succeed, they'll never be an empire once again and that's the truth, never since those times, the times of the pharaohs was Egypt ever strong enough, it never was its own empire it was usually settled by it, other countries and conquered and even today is, is on the brink of collapse in Terms of its economy. So, this prophecy certainly has paid its way and and shown what it is as well. Um, and, it, and therefore, there will no longer be a stronghold for Israel to be a reminder of sin. That means to say that Israel will never look to them again as a military superpower to depend on in the wake of thinking about Akanish Baruchu rather than military pride. Um, the Rashi also points out that this also relates to the prohibition in the Torah of the fact that um, we cannot return to Egypt ever, we are not allowed to go and settle in the land of Egypt. Perhaps it, it seems suggestive in Rashi uh, that, that that may have been somewhat different after this terrible cataclysm, which is described in Yechezkel's prophecy. Finally, the, the, the prophecy concludes from Sokim Yud Zion to Pasuk Kovalev that it describes that um, Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, Utsur, who is going to go and, um, and destroy Egypt, and going to bring his army there and destroy them. And he's going to do, destroy Egypt. And that time then the, the horn of Israel, the pride of Israel, will rise again as well. This is told to be in the 27th year. What 27th year of what? Says Abar Benel. This refers to the 27th year of in his the, the years are usually measured, measured in the years of the king. He ruled for 45 years. And so this is referring to 27 years into his rule as well. Um, What is the relationship between either the fall of Egypt and the rise of Israel? So Barbanel says that when Egypt will fall, ultimately Babylon will fall as well as soon afterwards. And Persia will rise. When Persia rises, Israel will rise at the same time. So it is going to be Din Vaheshbon. So this now moves into the times of Hezkel, the specific prophecy that he's talking about, but obviously has repercussions for the destruction of the ancient Egypt at the time of the Hebrews, when the nation of Israel was subjugated in their area. This gives us a little bit of perspective, a historical perspective of the same events echoing. Once again, this time much more in a natural state of affairs. And have a wonderful and meaningful day and a beautiful jabez.